The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 6th of December here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, fueling concerns. Putin heads to Saudi Arabia as Bloomberg uncovers how Russia is sidestepping Western oil sanctions. The London Stock Exchange faces tough questions after it's hit by a third outage in three months. Plus, the crypto factor. Bitcoin goes on a tear to add more than 165% since last year's rout. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Vladimir Putin is visiting Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates today in a rare overseas trip since the invasion of Ukraine. The Russian president's trip is intended to bolster partnerships with key oil producers. The meeting comes as exclusive reporting from Bloomberg has uncovered that Moscow's monthly income from oil exports is greater now than before the Ukraine war. Bloomberg's EMEA News Director Ros Matheson says the visit reveals a lot about the way Putin sees his current position. He's really not left Russia very much since he invaded Ukraine almost two years ago. Uh, He's been to China, he's been to some of the periphery states around Russia in, in his immediate orbit, but he's not really ventured any further than that. So simply the fact that he now feels confident enough to travel to the UAE, to travel to Saudi Arabia, to meet with some very, very high-level officials in both countries shows perhaps a reflection of how he's feeling at the moment about his hold on power at home, about where his war in Ukraine is at, and really that he's not feeling isolated on the global stage. Ros Matheson's analysis was underlined yesterday when Saudi's energy minister told Bloomberg that there is a high level of trust between Riyadh and Moscow, arguably the key relationship in OPEC+. Israeli leaders are vowing to continue their war to eradicate Hamas, despite serious criticism from international groups. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu lashed out after the UN said that there are no longer any safe places in Gaza. I say to the women's rights organizations, to the human rights organizations, you've heard of the rape of Israeli women, horrible atrocities, sexual mutilation. Where the hell are you? Netanyahu's troops are continuing to press into the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunis. The Hamas-run health ministry says that a thousand people have died since the truce ended, bringing their Gaza death toll to 16,000. Bloomberg has learned that tariffs on electric vehicles traded between the EU and the UK could be delayed by three years. The possible deal would offer some breathing space for an industry that's facing increasing competition from Chinese rivals on both sides of the channel. With more, here's Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Under the current Brexit deal, electric vehicles moving between the UK and European Union are set to be hit with a 10% duty if less than 45% of their value comes from the region. The measure is due to kick in on the 1st of January. But carmakers, the UK and the vast majority of EU member states have been pushing for a delay so that European battery production can be ramped up. 
The UK's auto trade lobbies also warned the tariffs would add around £3,500 to the price of EU-built vehicles in the UK and a similar amount to British-built vehicles in the EU. The recommendation of a three-year delay is subject to approval by the UK government and EU member states. In London, Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. The London Stock Exchange has suffered its third outage in as many months. Trading in 2,000 smaller shares was halted twice yesterday due to a hardware failure. The string of lapses serve as an embarrassment to the bourse, which says that trading will open as normal later. Bank of America's CEO believes there are signs of the US economy slowing, but his firm still expects a soft landing rather than a recession. Speaking at the Goldman Sachs US Financial Services Conference, Brian Moynihan said US consumers have been pulling back on spending. The reality is it's going to be a slowdown, but we have it as being positive. The way customers are spending their money is leveled out. In other words, there's not this you know, good service, this massive change. So some things are growing faster, but it's leveled out, meaning that all the categories are kind of growing, plus or minus the average. And so that's all good news that the economy is normalized. In a wide-ranging conversation, Moynihan also said that Bank of America's sales and trading unit is on track to be up in the low single digits in the final three months of the year. Goldman Sachs says that despite slumping profits, it still expects compensation costs to rise this year after complaints about pay last year. Speaking at the Wall Street Giants conference, Chief Financial Officer Dennis Coleman said that the bank will continue to pay based on performance of its businesses. On the comp side, our perspective will remain you know, very much pay for performance, but recognising uh, the performance of some of those core businesses. I would say on a you know, comp and benefit expense basis, I'd expect us to be up low to single digits for the full year. Coleman estimated that fourth quarter trading revenue will be flat relative to the prior year. While deal-making fees have been muted in 2023, Goldman's CEO says that next year's outlook is more promising. Bitcoin is briefly traded above $44,000 in a move one analyst described as a jet-fueled six-day jump. The 16% surge comes as investors eye the US allowing exchange-traded funds for the cryptocurrency and looser Fed policy. John Wu, the president of Ava Lab, says he expects to see further rises in the value of the token. Macro conditions or the perception of it has changed. The anticipation of a ton of liquidity with the ETFs coming into the space. Uh, But I think people now realize that the fundamentals where real business use cases are actually happening. And there are many, many traditional companies, whether it's in finance or traditional consumer marketing companies, applying the technology for real business use cases. John Wu speaking to Bloomberg there. Bitcoin's rebound from last year's crypto route now stands at 165%. Even with the bounce, the value is still some way short of the almost 69,000 per token hit in 2021. Now in a moment we'll be getting more details on the outages at London Stock Exchange yesterday. But first, a great piece from our colleague uh, Katie Donaldson, our UK political editor, and her team about how even from the jungle, (laughs) Nigel Farage is influencing events in Westminster. Of course, Nigel Farage taking part in the reality TV show I'm a Celebrity at the moment. But this is a great analysis of how the Tory party has been trying to keep the right wing in check. A lot of the focus on the immigration policy is 
is seen as pandering to their particular concerns on that issue. Um, this, of course, is James Cleverly. He's been in Rwanda signing that new deportation treaty as well. And what we're looking at in this piece is, in fact, how Nigel Farage and the Reform Party that he founded but doesn't leave, Reform UK, could influence policy ahead of the next election as well and how internally in the Tory party people are viewing uh, the strength or the need to perhaps bring that party closer. Yeah, I mean, is it to do with the weak economy, the cost of living crisis, that there is a concern about sort of immigration, about voters perhaps moving more to the right? Nigel Farage is a household name. I mean, I was in hairdressers the other day, they were talking about I'm a celebrity Mm. and Nigel Farage. Um, So he is a well-known quantity. Richard Tice, who leads Reform UK, we've interviewed in the past, He's perhaps less well-known, but you've seen over the last couple of years the Farage influence. He was was in the front row, for example, listening to the Liz Truss speech at the party conference only a few months ago. So, yeah, it's a fascinating piece. And perhaps even the win of Gert Wilders in the Netherlands, you know, brings that to the fore too about right-wing, more right-wing leading parties in Europe. Yeah, very interesting to consider as we look ahead to the next election in the UK. But let's turn now to events in the Gulf and the trip of Vladimir Putin there today. A rare trip abroad for the Russian leader since his invasion of Ukraine. He's going to meet leaders from Saudi Arabia and the UAE later on, with talks expected to focus on areas including the oil market. Our senior executive editor for Energy and Commodities, Will Kennedy, joins us now for more. Will, what is Vladimir Putin trying to achieve with this trip? I think he's trying to, first and foremost, show that he is not a pariah, that there are important states that are happy to see him, that he's able to uh, leave Russia and he remains a force on the global stage. Uh, more specifically, I think the relationship between Russia, the UAE and Saudi Arabia when it comes to oil is increasingly important. They're the most important players in the OPEC plus uh, alliance. Uh, they have struggled to really shore up oil prices after announcing a, a cut in production um, uh, last week, and I think they want to talk about where that stands and you know what strategy might be going into next year. Well, we were listening to your interview with the Saudi Arabia energy minister only yesterday about his relationship with Russia in OPEC+. Plus. Are, are they close allies on energy issues? What, what are their perspectives? I think the big picture is that, yes, they are close allies uh, on oil. Uh, that relationship has has lasted over the years with one very significant hiccup um, in early uh, 2020 when they found themselves in a price war just as the pandemic was engulfing the global economy. But since then, they put their alliance back together. They are keen to show that they're close. I think politically, it's a real source of uh power of a key relationship for the for the two countries um but there are tensions within it and i think what was revealing uh in my conversation with prince abdulaziz uh, earlier this week is that the saudis are keen to show the world that they trust russia to stick with the opec plus plan to meet their targets and that they're asking russia to be more transparent about the fact that they are meeting their obligations to curb exports and their curb of exports will be deepened in the first year. So it's an important time for Putin to come and cement his relationship with Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, um, and Mohammed bin Zayed, the leader of the UAE. 
interesting to, to see that cooperation on, on the oil front, but what about the Gulf states' position on Russia's invasion of Ukraine? I mean, I think on the whole, they've tried to stay out of that of that argument. Uh, they've tried to not take sides and see it as a largely uh, European matter. The UAE, of course, has become somewhere that many Russians since the war have come to live, to do business. Uh, we published a story today, in fact, about how the UAE has become a center for many oil traders who are trading Russian oil and, and trying to do that outside the price cap mechanism uh, that the West has put in place to attempt, uh, not very well right now, but to attempt to curb Russian oil revenues. So there is that aspect to it as well as an important business relationship. And the UAE especially is an important conduit for Russia to the outside world as it finds traditional uh, places like London increasingly close to them. Hmm. Although he's going to Abu Dhabi, um, Putin's not going to be attending the COP28 climate summit in Dubai. Is that significant, surely? Well, we don't <laughs> we don't think he's going to turn up. Um, hmm. uh, he won't be far away, though, and I think he, he will cast a shadow. Uh, Russia is not Russia has a net zero target, but of course it is one of the world's biggest producers of hydro hydrocarbons, uh, both uh, oil and gas, and a very big coal producer. Um, it isn't, it's fair to say, been a huge force at these climate talks, although they do back uh, the expansion of nuclear power, for example. I think what's interesting though is that obviously COP28 is a big uh, diplomatic centerpiece for the UAE. And I find it interesting that they're willing to welcome Putin uh, during that COP28 negotiation and talk about oil. Okay, and we will watch that very closely as well. Will Kennedy, our Senior Executive Editor for Energy and Commodities, thank you very much for joining us with the latest on that journey by Vladimir Putin. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, let's turn our attention to the London Stock Exchange, which suffered its third outage in as many months. Only yesterday, the halts in trading affected small cap stocks, but the frequency of the failures is causing some concern. Bloomberg's James Orcock joins us now for more. What exactly do we know about what happened yesterday? Well, we know that about 9.30am yesterday, a disk array, which is like a big array of all these kind of hard drives, failed, which basically meant that when traders were putting in their orders, they weren't kind 
came back at the other end. That then leads to a halt in the exchange, and that stopped companies like ASOS, Fevertree, YouGov, kind of companies that you will know, the small caps, but not, crucially, the FTSE 100, the FTSE 250 from trading. That then resumed at, at 10.17. Then there was a second era, era in the same sort of deck of disc arrays, which led to a, another halt. Mm. Now, the double halt is quite rare normally. That's normally only a marketing. It rarely happens for technical issues. So it is one that is going to have a few traders scratching their heads. But really, the problem here, Caroline, is that this is the third time in three months. These kinds of issues are normally very rare. You've got to go back to 2019 and then 2011 to find parallels. So the real problem for the LSE as they wake up this morning is if this happens again quite soon, there are going to be regulatory issues and there are going to be investors worried about trading. The FCA have said they are in contact with the boss this morning. Technical issues happen. It is the like the amount of them that are coming that is going to become the problem here. Do we have any idea as to what's leading to this series of failures at the LSE? Well, I mean, this is a bit 101 for some of the traders listening in, Stephen. But how this works is just 30 years ago, this was all done in person. And nowadays, what happens is traders put in their orders. That goes into what's called a logic engine, which basically matches it. If I'm selling something for, say, £10, and that's the price I'll take, and someone says, I want to buy it for £10, that's then matched. That then is then given out as data, and then that's how trades happen. Now, when this happened and went wrong in October 19th, there was an error in the software code. The LSE would want you to know this morning that yesterday's issue was hardware. But it is both happening this in the small caps part of the organisation. So it's the same area that is having these issues. So we know it is issues mm. with this specific bit, but we don't quite know if they are related. Yeah, this is as Judah Hoggart, the LSE lead, is really trying to put, you know, British stocks and investing in the UK, you know, on the forefront. So does this have a wider impact? Well, the thing that really puts this in perspective, Caroline, is if you compare this to 2017, the LSE now gets under 3% of its revenue mm. from trading at cash equities. That was 15%. So you look at the acquisition of Refinitiv in 2019, this is a company that is turning to financial data, as a lot of exchanges are around the world. So so the question we have to ask this morning is, as it puts itself in sort of to more of a data mindset, is this a change in priorities for the company? I mean, I will add a brief disclaimer. That move is something that sort of puts it in competition with companies like Bloomberg. Uh, but can it then balance the issues around maintaining a large equity cash trading system as well? This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.